Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us again today on the program. And uh, man, I really value your time and I appreciate um, you taking time to share this time with us. We are so enjoying the letters and the emails and the Facebook posts that are coming from you of the absolute life-changing results that's taking place from the gospel being preached. We could just share testimonies with you probably for an entire program of people whose lives have been transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His finished work. Uh, We have been, as you already know if you've been watching us, in a series on the book of Revelation. Now, before you get scared, turn it off, say, oh man, I don't want to hear anything from the book of Revelation. Uh, I believe you're going to be blessed if you'll stay tuned in because uh, this ministry does not come at this book from the posture of fear to try to use fear to manipulate or to control you. What we believe the book of Revelation is about is a revelation of Jesus Christ. If the other 65 books of the Bible were about Him and in the volume of the book it is written of Him, then I don't think that you can go wrong by preaching Jesus from a book that's titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe it's not really about uh, coming catastrophes or world events in our future. I believe most of the book of Revelation uh, was fulfilled in the first century and I believe that what was dealing with is a church that was moving from an old covenant Uh, mentality to a new covenant mentality. He tells them very, very, very emphatically in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. He says, these things are about to shortly come to pass. And he sent his angel and signified them. Shortly come to pass does not mean 2,000 years and counting. Uh, He says in chapter 1 again, they which pierced me will look upon me. Uh, In other words, he writes this book then again to seven churches that are really in Asia. Uh, You could take a whole lot of different concepts with them, but the truth of it is there were seven churches that he was really sending these letters to that were already in existence in the first century. I believe the most, uh, this, this to me has been one of the most uh, uh, powerful series. People really responded well to this because uh, what we begin to do, when you set this in the time setting that it was in, imagine being a first century church. Uh, the church word itself means the called out ones. And what you've been called out of this time is not simply the bondage of Egyptian slavery, but you've been called out of the bondage of religion. I think it's interesting that Revelation 11 verse 8, uh, the scripture says that uh, our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt. Uh, Now our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. So he says he's using a, uh, if you will, a picture or a type and a shadow. He's saying that uh, the city which our Lord was crucified in was Jerusalem. And the Lord made a direct emphasis to compare that to Sodom and Egypt. And so uh, when I think about Egypt, I think about the bondage of Egyptian slavery. But you know, when you read out the book of Galatians, especially in chapter 3, it said you're no longer slaves and servants. In other words, you're not slaves and servants, but in Galatians, you're not slaves and servants to an old system of law and an old system of old covenant uh, uh, rules and regulations. 
If you read further in the book of Galatians, it says that uh, Jerusalem, which now is, uh, is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and genders is in bondage with her children, just like Hagar. It, it, it is connected to Hagar. So what he's simply saying is, is that uh, there's a group of people who've been called out. I, 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 I'm really enjoying teaching this series, but I, I think it's tragic in a way that here we are 2,000 years into the New Covenant, and I've got to come on camera and try to convince people in this age, 2,000 years later, that we still got an Old Covenant paradigm. But the whole message to these churches is repent. Change the way you think, because once they repent, we're going to get to a uh, segment here probably in a few weeks, because this is the last church we're going to deal with in the book of Revelation, the Laodicean church. We're going to see in chapter 4 where it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and then I saw a throne and a rainbow. Those, ladies and gentlemen, are symbols of the kingdom of God that when Jesus was here on planet earth, uh, he and John the Baptist both preached, repent, change the way you think, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is within your grasp. It's within your breach. So uh, the kingdom is accessible simply from shifting uh, the paradigm that's kept us locked into an old covenant mentality. So we're really feeling, you know, the Holy Spirit emphasize it. I've really thought about, you know, maybe backing away and not teaching Revelation. Now, I, you know, because I, I don't like controversy. I, 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 you know, I'm a peaceful guy. I'm really not fighting anything anybody else has to say about this book. But I do believe that we've got to take a look at this book in the relevance of what it was to the first century church. And that is to say that uh, we're going to have to at some point make a shift to moving out from the mixture uh, of, uh, of, of law and grace and move into a full embracing of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we do, there's a door that's opened in the heavens where we access the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven with its rainbow around about it, which is a symbol of a covenant that God gave to Noah when he said to them, I will never be wroth or angry with you again. Uh, that rainbow is a powerful symbol uh, of new covenant. God is really, uh, I believe, shifting the church in the first century. But here we are now uh, centuries later, and we are dealing with the same things that they were dealing with, trying to make this shift where a door can be opened, where we access the throne. Uh, so many times when we look at things like the throne, we think in terms of a Victorian chair on a, on a planet three miles south of Mars, but we, we fail even sometimes to understand things we say in our own terminologies. Like for instance, I could say to you, bow your head, and uh, I, I want my brother or my sister to take us boldly to the throne. See, we can come to the throne uh, without leaving this room. We come to the throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace boldly. So when I see a throne in Revelation, that's not necessarily to me a relocation geographically as much as it is a paradigm shift into an access of a kingdom where a people begin to realize what they have, who they are, and what they're called to do, and then they will do what a chapter beyond that says, they will become kings and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Uh, I believe that when we understand the paradigm shifts, we will understand that because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So this is about moving from what used to dominate and rule us, 
the tyranny of law and sin that was uh, the, the strength of sin was the law, but that, 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 that does no longer dominate us any longer, but now we're dominated, controlled, and governed by the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. Let me read to you again because we're going to come back to the, the Laodicean church here. Uh, in verse number uh, 14 it says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, in the last segment, we dealt with him being the amen. He was the final amen uh, in Deuteronomy after every curse. They would say, and the people with one voice would say, amen. And that he would give another curse, and the people would say, amen. But in the New Testament, Jesus was the final amen of God. He said, I am the amen and the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. What he's simply saying is, I took every curse that you had coming, uh, the curse of Adam, the generational curses, the curse of the law, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Everything he did in his redemptive work, he did it to redeem us from uh, even much of the curse, even in his prayer in the garden. I think it is incredible that he prays in a garden called Gethsemane. He prays until he sweats. He sweats until he bleeds. It is vitally important that he bleeds because if one drop of sweat from this divine brow of the glorious Son of God ever touches a cursed earth, it will put the curse in reverse that says you must earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Jesus redeemed us from sweat labor. And I'm not talking about you don't need to work a job. I'm talking about He redeemed us from the sweat and labor of trying to earn our heavenly sustenance or the bread that comes down from heaven. They put on His head a crown of thorns to redeem us from an earth that would bring forth thorns and thistles and even uh, that which comes from toil and labor. And the, even, you know, I think about it being placed upon His head so to redeem us from every thought of depression every concept of torment, everything that would oppress fear and discourage us. Jesus became the curse. He was the amen because he was the faithful witness uh, and the beginning of a brand new creation of God. And the book of Revelation ends not this time with a curse, but it says, Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So the book of Revelation ends with a declaration of grace and the final amen being said there in the book of Corinthians. He says, For in Christ all of God's promises are yes and they are amen. Because He took what we had coming under the old covenant, we get what He has coming under the new covenant. Now let me say to you that the word Laodicea again literally means the justice of the people. It, it, it comes from the root word in Thayer's Greek lexicon, meaning to deal with a suit of law, at law, a judicial hearing or a judicial decision or sentence. It is also infers a condemnation or execution of the sentence of, or punishment. And you know, uh, back some time ago, I, I, I wrote a play. Now, uh, please don't write in and ask us if we have it because I don't have it any longer. I don't know what I did with the, the manuscript where we did this play, but we wrote a play called The Indictment. And what I showed was, as I, I was in a youth camp, and I began to share how that, uh, you know, we had everything set up in a courtroom, and uh, it was a courtroom setting. Uh, we had like cameras rolling, made it look like a, a courtroom scene with television cameras and reporters. Uh, we had Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, who, by the way, prosecutes you on an antiquated law. 
Uh, but he brings you into uh, this courtroom to be uh, accused because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And in Colossians chapter 2, when Jesus says he disarmed principalities and powers, Colossians chapter 2 tells you that his weapon was the handwriting of ordinance against us. The weapon of the enemy is the weapon of condemnation. And if he can get you to say amen to the condemnation and come into agreement with it, then he can pretty well manipulate and do a whole lot of stuff to you. But you need to stop saying the amen to the curse and start saying amen to the grace of God. That's where I believe this whole thing is shifting. Anyway, I had that when the prosecutor comes in, because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is the prosecuting attorney, and he indicts you on antiquated laws. Uh, when he came in, the reporter said to him, uh, you know, uh, looks to me like you've got an open and shut case. And so uh, the devil says to the reporter who was the prosecuting attorney, he said, yeah, he says, I'm going to throw the book today. Let's say he's talking about me. I'm going to throw the book at Lynn Hiles in Adam. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, is about what happens every week somewhere in a local church is we throw the book at people. We hit them with every curse. We scare them to death with everything. I mean, we literally throw the book at them. And so he comes in, sits down. I, I was playing Jesus. It was my play. And, uh, and I was the advocate. Jesus is your advocate. He is your attorney that you've got on retainer. He ever lives, folks, to make intercession. I say it like this. He ever lives to litigate. And so when I walked in, the reporter says, uh, it looks to me like your adversary has an open and cut sh shut case against Lynn Hiles and Adam. And I said, well, it may look like that, but what, my, but what my adversary does not know is that he's prosecuting Lynn Hiles and Adam under an antiquated law, and he's not abreast of the new legislation. We walked in the courtroom, and my brother was playing God. He drops the gavel, calls the court into session. They bring my client in, bound in chains. And the bailiff calls the thing into order. And my brother who was playing God says, oh, court is now in session. The highest court of the universe is now in session. And he said to my client, would you like to enter a plea? I said, stand up and tell him, yes, sir, I want to enter a plea. I want to plead the blood of Jesus. And I want to tell you that I just plead the blood of Jesus and sit back down. My client did that. He said to him, would you like to make a confession? I leaned over, I said to my client, I said, uh, yes, stand up and tell him, I want to confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and tell you that I believe God raised him from the dead to sit back down. Uh, because how many know that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And he sat back down. The prosecutor takes the floor. And what I did was I had the prosecutor bring every kind of a law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the 600 and some other laws and divers washings that are in the scripture, like eating pork and uh, mingling your thread in a garment with divers threads and uh, uh, kindling a fire on the Sabbath. And I mean, I listed a bunch of stuff that were even death penalties. And it got real quiet in that youth camp because everybody in that place knew it's not just this guy that's on trial, we're all on trial today. Because the accuser of the brethren looks like has an open and shut case before the court. And based on the law of the Mosaic system, here's the end of the law. There's none righteous, no, not even one. Romans chapter 3 said the reason God gave the law was so that every mouth would be stopped and all the world would become guilty and we would realize, I need a Savior. Uh, when I did that and the prosecutor rested his case,
I said, Father, may I approach the bench? And um, uh, God looks down at me and says to me, uh, the guy playing, God says to me, uh, you ever lived to litigate? I took the floor and I said, Your Honor, first of all, my client that's being prosecuted is being prosecuted on an antiquated law. I said, secondly, uh, a simple DNA test, Your Honor, will prove that my client is not Lynn Hiles in Adam. My client is Lynn Hiles in Christ. My client has a new DNA. He has been regenerated. I want to emphasize the word gene there. He has a new gene. He has a divine nature that he's been made a partaker of. And I said, I want to enter into evidence as Exhibit A, a baptismal certificate. And I want to show you where Lynn Hiles in Adam is buried in a watery grave. And I said, even if you uh, find him guilty, I have a writ, a reprieve from the government, a, a pardon signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you find him guilty, I've already paid the death penalty for him. But I begin to plead this case based on the fact that this is not Lynn Hiles in Adam. This is Lynn Hiles in Christ. See, the thing he says to the church at Laodicea is, I'm not only the amen, I'm also the beginning of the creation of God. He is the federal head of a brand new humanity, a brand new species of people who are born of God. You are not in Adam trying to modify the behavior of an old man. You are in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And I looked at the judge, and I said, If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. And let me tell you what happened is that when I showed the evidence of the baptismal certificate, the prosecution had rested, and the gavel drops, and God, the judge of the universe, declares Lynn Hiles in, is not guilty based on the fact that this is a new species. That old Lynn Hiles has already been dealt with, has already received the death penalty, has already received everything he had coming, because when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world come, now is the prince of this world judged, and if I, I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. This spake he concerning what death he would die. So when this church at Laodicea that's being dealt with means to deal with a suit at law or a judicial decision, let me tell you that that judicial decision and that judgment was met over 2,000 years ago for every believer that's in Christ. Because what happened to Christ happened to you. And I believe that is so powerful to get a hold of. And when you realize that when he was lifted up, everything you had coming was put to death. And when you go down into watery grave through water baptism, there is an identification with that death that says, my judicial decision and my judgment is not in my future. My judgment is in my past. When he was lifted up, I was lifted up. Hallelujah. And uh, you know, that's so powerful to me. What happened to him happened to you. And so, man, when the gavel dropped and the bailiff came and began to release the shackles and the handcuffs from my client, that youth camp went absolutely crazy. I mean, they literally went berserk, realizing we have just been found not guilty. We've been declared not guilty in the highest court of the land based on the blood of Jesus. Now that's powerful. He's the amen. He's the faithful true witness. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He was where the judicial decision was dealt with. That youth camp went absolutely crazy. I almost lost control 
of the crowd. But when I finally got them calmed down about 20 minutes later, I lifted my hand. The court was still in session. And I said, Father, may I approach the bench? And the father looks down and says, Son, you ever live to litigate? And man, when he said that, I said, Your Honor, I would like to enter into the docket of the courtroom of the heavens. Not a criminal case, but now a civil case. I said, because we just proved in the criminal case that Lynn Hiles is not Lynn Hiles in Adam. As a matter of fact, he is your honor himself, long lost son. And since we proved his identity in the courtroom of the heavens, that he is then in fact an heir, hallelujah, he's an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, we want to enter into this courtroom a docket to probate the will. Now I'm about to get happy. I don't know if you're sitting out there ready to shout or not, but that ought to make you want to shout because not only did you rent the criminal case, but you're about to execute a will. Somebody died and left you something. What's amazing to me is we've got the richest will on the planet and we've never read our copy of it, so we settle out of court and we settle way too short for stuff that's literally our legal right and our inheritance to have. You know, I, I have an attorney that showed me a legal document that he was working on, and even th times like when he would say, these things we pray the court. Prayer is a legal term that's still used in the courtrooms of the United States. We pray the court. It is literally a petition that is made. So every time I pray, it puts a legal docket in the courtroom of the heavens, and my attorney, Jesus Christ, who is the intercessor, picks up every prayer I pray, and if I've got a legal right to have it, there will be a legal ruling on it. Heaven is ruling on some things you're asking for, but sometimes we're not asking because we don't know it's in our copy of the will. See, my father wrote a will one day. He called it an old will and testament. And then he had a son. And this son was such an incredible businessman that the father got richer. And not only did the father get richer, but he said, I've had so much fun with this first son, I think I'm just going to bring many sons into glory. And so he gave birth to you and he gave birth to me. And he brought many into this family of his. And he said, since I got richer, <laughs> and since I've got more kids, let me revise the will and I'll write a new testament, a new will and testament that includes you and it includes me. And you know what? That's powerful. The richest will on the planet. Hallelujah. You, somebody died and left you something. The richest will on the planet has been conveyed into your hands. I don't know if I was you, man, if I was you, I'd start praying right now and praying the Holy Ghost because when you pray, you enter a legal document. God will begin to rule on some things on your behalf. But here's the thing I want you to see. Not only did he write a will, but the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without the death of the testator, the will is not effective. So he died so you could get what's in your copy of the will. Now, I love that. He came, wrapped himself in human flesh, and died so you could get it. But what I love even more than the fact that he died is because a lot of people have died and left you something. But the Bible said that Jesus got back up from the dead, hallelujah, to be the administrator of his own will to make sure you get what he said you could have. He is right now the administrator of his own will to make sure you can get
of what he said you could have. That's what he's trying to say to this Laodicean church. If you shift your mentality, you're going to move from a mentality that's woe is me and gloom and despair and agony on me and I'm, I'm, I'm under curses. You're going to begin to realize he was the amen. He was the final amen. He said the amen to the curse so that now there's an amen to the blessing. He became the final amen to all the curses of Deuteronomy chapter 27 so that he could be the final amen to say grace and peace be multiplied to you or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I'm telling you, favor is on you because what he did. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but if I was sitting right there today listening, my faith would be right now being lifted into another dimension. I believe right now there are people that are hearing the sound of my voice and you're, you're realizing, man, this judgment Laodicea's name means, this judicial decision has already been made 2,000 years ago. I won the court case. Wow. I won. The ruling was in your favor. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it to court. If you're sitting out there today and you're listening to the sound of my voice, you may have gotten a report about your health, your finances, your kids. You, you might have uh, uh, some things going on in your marriage. But I dare you to take it to court today. And when I mean the court, I'm talking about the high court of the heavens. And you take a moment today to shut yourself off in a prayer closet. And you say, God, I'm going to pray based on the will of God because it's in my Father's will that one of the, some of the things that Jesus paid for in His redemption was He paid for my wealth and my health and my family and being blessed in the city and being blessed in the field, being blessed coming in, being blessed going out, blessed my store. See, I believe grace and favor are accessed by faith. And the more we preach this, the more it's going to turn things around because people become what I call believers. See, not only was he the amen, but in Christ all of God's promises are yes, and I believe we need to say amen to that. In other words, when we come into agreement with God on these things, if any two or three of you will agree and then touch it, God will do it. I'm praying right now for your miracle. I'm believing God to touch your family, to touch your finances, to touch your... As a matter of fact, I believe God is healing somebody right now who's been diagnosed of terminal cancer. You just found out that a report came back. I'm believing God that in my copy of the will, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Receive it right now in Jesus' name. We're about to run out of time. Whatever your need is, embrace what God has done in the will and believe it and say amen to it. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. Consider sowing us financial seed into the ministry to help us uh, keep the gospel going around the world. It's what helps. Consider becoming a partner with us on a regular basis. We need your help. If you like what you're hearing, get behind what we're doing and help us expand as we touch the gospel uh, around the world. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in again this week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.